In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. And welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa, here as we equip you with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And especially in our modern world of today, there is a rising resurgence of young Catholics today, discovering the roots of their heritage, the roots of their past. And that is namely the traditional Latin Mass or the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. And that is why my guest today is Father Damon Seifer from the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter within the Diocese of Parramatta. Welcome aboard, Father. Thank you. Yes, it's great to have you with us here. So it's, uh, it's, our, first, uh, it's, our, it's our first time ever having you here in the That's studio. That's right, yes. Yeah. But hopefully it won't be, it'll just be the first of many. Let's see. Excellent. Yeah, hope things are going well with the fraternity here in Parramatta. Um, uh, you, you recently came to Parramatta, I think about, what was it, six months ago? Uh, yeah, it'd be about nine months ago now. Nine months ago? Yeah. Wow, time has flown. Time, time, time has really flown, yeah. Mm. And uh, you were previously in the um, Maternal Heart of Mary. At Lewisham in the Sydney Archdiocese. Sydney Archdiocese. For seven years before that, yeah. Seven years, wow, that's what an absolute blessing to have you there. And um, yeah, we go back, we've known each other over many years and uh, over probably pa a past decade. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think I came over when I was discerning back in the days, uh, I had lunch with the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter once. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, so definitely the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, uh, many people are now who are attracted to the Latin Mass or the extra form of the Roman Rite are coming across Latin Mass orders or uh, Priestly Fraternities. And um, here, which is what is available in, in Australia, the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter is very prominent. So could you start off by telling, uh, explaining to us, uh, especially those who have not heard um, or, or come in contact with the Priestly Fraternity, what it is the Fraternity is, how was it formed, how did it come to be, especially sure. today? Sure. Well, just a bit of background there, of course. Um, with, uh, after Vatican II, at uh, the end of 1969, there was the new missile that was promulgated, the Novus Ordo. Um, and at that time, it was really a time of uh, turmoil and upheaval in, in the church. Um, there were a lot of strange things happening. <clears throat> and there was uh, Archbishop Lefebvre who had permission to gather together a group of seminarians and uh, to, to form his own seminary. Originally had permission to do that. And that formed into what we now know as the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X. Unfortunately, due to many different um, circumstances, both on his side and on the side of 
you know, certain bishops in the Vatican who weren't very keen on what he was doing. Yeah. Um, he sort of started to drift away from, um, let's say, from direct union with, with the Vatican. Yeah. And he started to go off and do his own thing. So whereas he originally started in a legitimate way, unfortunately, he ended up uh, consecrating bishops without the permission. In 1988, without the mandate of the Holy See. That's right. Against the warnings of Pope John Paul II. So that was, That's right. that was um, in my book, I describe it as a, as a, as a schismatic act. That's right. Um, and a, a rebellious one where, of course, obviously there were concerns. Over, it, it wasn't an easy time, 1988. No, it was where, a very difficult time. You know, the, Novus, or the spirit of Vatican II really took hold of the church. And there was a lot of chaos and liturgical abuse. And, and these were just people who wanted to remain faithful to, to the Roman rite as it was from the beginning. And um, he consecrated four bishops. And, uh, yes. and, uh, and uh, as a result, was it an excommunication that was laid? So canon law yeah. says that there's an automatic excommunication for um, consecrating bishops without a papal mandate. Yeah. So it was a very serious uh, thing that happened. Um, but within the SSPX, there were, of course, many priests and seminarians who wanted to do the right thing, who didn't uh, agree with what was happening, the decision that was being made. So seminarians as well, wasn't just priests. That's right. Ah, excellent. Yeah. yeah. So they, it, they, were, um, they were sort of polarized within the SSPX. Um, a smaller group of those who opposed what was being done um, went to Rome and uh, the Pope had actually made an offer to Archbishop Lefebvre uh, to form his own legitimate group and to be able to consecrate a bishop and so forth, which initially he had accepted, but then he reneged on that agreement. Um, but this, this group within the SSPX, they said, well, we, we can't accept what has been done. So they went to Rome and said, look, if, they, if the SSPX doesn't want this agreement, we do. And we would like to be set up in a legitimate way under the Pope and in full communion with the church. Yeah. Um, that was actually organized at the time through Cardinal Ratzinger, who, of yeah. course, went on to become Benedict XVI. Yeah. So um, that was that was a great thing. So Cardinal Ratzinger really played a, a key role in, in getting our order established in 1988. And um, very soon after, we were erected as... Um, an order of pontifical right, and our constitutions were approved just a few months later in, in 1988. So it happened very quickly. Very quickly, and, yeah, 1988. Uh, wow. Yeah, so that was 12 priests and <clears throat> about 20 seminarians. Who 12 priests. I didn't know how many seminarians. <laughs> I had just known 12 priests. And what's interesting is uh, how far removed from the, ex the ordinations and thereby the excommunications... Uh, what was the time span between the excommunications and them realizing, wow, this is a bit too much? It was just a matter of months. So it was very wow. shortly afterwards. That's amazing. So a quick yeah. response. That's where right. They came to their senses, 12 priests. I mean, very uh, apostolic, 12, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. So 12 priests sure. uh, of the Society of St. Pius X then moved over. And uh, was it in Switzerland that they pledged allegiance um, which particular, you would know, which particular monastery was it or seminary uh, or did they Yeah, was that a particular monastery I visited? I just can't remember the name at the moment. Yeah, but it's in Switzerland, <clears throat> that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that happened in Switzerland. But we ended up having our foundation in Bavaria. Yeah. Again, through Cardinal Ratzinger, yeah. he, he called the local bishop and said, you know, this group of priests need, need a temporary place to set up a seminary. Yeah. 
and to have as their base. So that's how we ended up in a little place called Vigratsbad ah, uh, in Bavaria. Yeah. That's where our German and French-speaking seminary is. I, I spent four years there in the, in the so French. So you went there as opposed to the Alaskan seminary? Uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. I did Alaska. spend two years in Nebraska as well. Yeah. So yeah. I did see that promo vocations video on YouTube many years ago because I think it's a very popular video trending yes. for vocations. And you were there, I think, as a seminarian. That's right. Yeah. But I'm also in the in the Bavarian one that, that they shot while I, I happened to be there as well. So. Oh, I might look that up, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's French and German speaking. So, yes. if so I had to learn French to, to spend my four years there in the French wow. speaking section. Yeah. Wow. And they, could, they couldn't send you to Nebraska? At the time, the, uh, the second dormitory wing hadn't been built yes, in Nebraska. Okay. So our seminary was full year after year and they had to turn seminarians away because it was just always full. So at the time, we had seven Australian seminarians. Yep. So they said, look, at least two of them need to go to Germany because we just can't take all of them here. So it was a good problem to have. It's a good problem, um, definitely. Shortly after that, they commenced building the second dormitory. And um, our numbers have now gone up to, you know, 80, 90 or so in the, in the U.S. seminary. So we get lots of vocations there. Wonderful. Mm. It seems as if when you look at this, the seminary in Australia, many vocations are coming through and we inquiries. Uh, coming. That's what we're noticing in the Latin Mass community because basically when you talk about the Latin Mass in Sydney, in Australia, the fraternity is the go-to for sure. the Latin Mass. That's what's happening on the ground, the conversations. Uh, but so the priestly fraternity of St. Peter was then formed, which is the fraternity uh, in Latin. How do you pronounce it? Fraternitas Secretatalis Sancti Patrick? That's right. Yeah. That's right, yes. So, and, and basically... It, your heritage is within the Society of St. Pius X. So it's basically the same thing, but in communion, full communion with the Holy See, carrying on the mission of the Latin Mass. Do yes. you have elements of monasticism in your constitution? So um, we are what's called a Society of Apostolic Life. Yeah. A Society of what is a Society? Sorry, yes. Yeah, society of Apostolic Life is kind of halfway between a diocesan priest and a, and a religious priest. So the diocesan priests, they have a more independent... Uh, life obviously and they just they just live within that diocese and they serve the parishes um, a religious priest has the vows of poverty chastity and obedience they live together um, in that structure and they pray the, the the office together and things like this so we are a combination of both of those so we're not religious priests we are secular priests so we don't have the vows of poverty chastity and obedience um, of course um, we live the spirit of poverty. Um, we have a, a, an oath of celibacy when we get ordained, as all yeah. priests do. Um, and of course, we make a promise of obedience to um, superior. our superiors. But we're not religious in the strict sense of the word. We're, mm -hmm. we're secular priests. But we also have the religious element of living in common, praying the um, office together, yeah. um, you know, doing, doing certain... Uh, As it might have together. been uh, before the Second Vatican Council, where there was a, 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 a an influx of so many priests in each parish, mm. where they they would have prayed the office together. So it's in some places it depended. It, it would have depended on um, the leadership of the local bishop and whether he encouraged that. In a lot of places, it wasn't so common. Yeah, okay. so it just yep. it would have depended. Yeah.
Excellent. And uh, so the priestly fraternity St. Peter is only allowed to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. That's our charism. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't we don't do the, the Novus Ordo Mass. At all. We, no, we you don't. can't con-celebrate at all because uh, we, at we don't. Masses, it's just not yeah. part of our charism. We exactly. Just, we just don't do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's um, so you're the traditional Latin Mass order in Australia. So, Father, uh, let's then talk about what... For many people, we, we, we've done episodes here about the extraordinary form, but we've never had a priest explain the extraordinary form from their perspective, especially from an order that's uh, or an apostolic um, society, apostolic life, um, like yourselves. Uh, what is the extraordinary form? What is or what they call the sure. Latin Mass? I like to refer to it as the extraordinary form because mm. I don't like to see it as traditional. I just simply like to see it as Catholic. Sure. This is Catholic. This is the this is the Roman rite mm. with two forms. There's yes. nothing traditional about it. It's just Catholicism is traditional by its very nature. Sure. So it was actually Pope Benedict who coined this phrase "extraordinary form" and "ordinary form." Yeah. Just as a way of indicating that the the ordinary form in terms of what happens in most yeah. in most parishes is the the Novus Ordo, uh, which was promulgated uh, for 19, the end of 1969 is when that came into force. Um, <clears throat> But probably a lot of younger Catholics would not really be aware of, of even what the um, the Latin Mass is, and that and that it existed up until the nineteen you know nineteen seventies um, as the normal Mass that happened in all parishes throughout yeah. the world. Uh, so, well, essentially, um, it developed <clears throat> in the early centuries uh, in Rome. <clears throat> so it, it really was the right of Rome, and uh, it, it developed in those early centuries, and then it was particularly put into its form by um, Gregory the Great. Uh, he's well known for um, his influence on the chant um, within the, the Which Roman is why writers, we use so Gregorian chant. <clears throat> that's right, that's what yeah. we call it, Gregorian chant. Um, but, you know, he really, he really put a lot of the rite into its current form that we still use. So... Yeah. Um, there really wouldn't have been a huge difference between the rites celebrated in the parishes in the time of after Saint Gregory the Great, yeah. as compared to what what we do now. Yep. Um, <clears throat> after that, there were some things that were developed organically through the Middle Ages um, that sort of added to the richness of the rite, and finally with the Council of Trent, um, the Council of Trent weeded out a few of those things that that were kind of late additions, and then other things said, this this is the way that the Mass should be said. Because there were variations, <laughs> let's say, in Germany, in France, uh, different places. Even within the same country, there were a lot of variations, yeah. Wow, so well, what kind of variations would they have been? Would they have been how high the priest holds his hands, or...? or oh, well, yeah, perhaps small things like that, prayers. but even, even uh, yeah, the prayers, like prayers for communion, the prayers before Mass, the last gospel after Mass yep. that we always say, that was, uh, a, that was a late addition, um, you know, in the Middle Ages. Um, it could have been the readings, um, the, 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 the common of different Masses, like the common of, um, of uh, confessors or virgins or whatever, those things were being formed at that time. Mm -hmm. So it was really the Council of Trent that said, well, we have all of these different options. Let's make it more standardized throughout the world yep. and fixed the, the missile with what they regarded as the best of all of those things um, and then leaving aside the other things that were yeah. 
know, which were not 400 years or <coughs> 200 years but they were the, oh, they were okay. different so within the roman rite there were different usages of the roman rite in different places yeah. so that's know, what got standardized into just the roman rite whereas within the latin spectrum anything that was i think 400 years or more such as the dominican rite the franciscan mm. rite the carthusian rite that was able to to be kept. Yeah, no, it was actually 200 years. So the, oh, the Rite years. of Paris okay, and yeah. so forth, all those things were left aside. Yep. But anything that had at least 200 years of history yep. was able to be continued to said. Now, there's 200 years. <coughs> what does that represent, 200 years? It, does that represent organic growth? Because we talk about organic growth and we saw at the sure. Second Vatican Council, perhaps, you know, there, there may have been a bit of a, it, it was developed in a very speedy fashion. Mm. As, as many priests in the new right say, you know, that things develop a little bit quickly. But um, what's the what's 200 years and what's the, the value and what's the connection between Well, I guess it's exactly what you're saying, that they would have regarded anything less than 200 years old as to be something modern, something um, new, and it doesn't have real antiquity about it. So it shouldn't be regarded as, as something which is ancient. Um, so that's why they decided to, to leave aside those kind of things. But anything that was older than that, um, that's just the figure they came up with. But anything that was older than, than the 200 years um, was ancient enough to be regarded as, as having been said for many years, but many generations of priests, and um, was therefore able to be... And what's the value of many generations of priests? Why, why do we need... Why can't we just create a right straight away and just use it, you know, if it's good? Sure. Why do we have to let 200 years go by intergenerational organic growth get in the way of progress? Sure. Because this is, this is the way the church has always um, thought about the liturgy, that it's not something that should just be created out of thin air. Yeah. It should be something which goes back to those early roots of the church. Yep. Um, so when you look at all of the different 22 rites that are in the church, um, all of them will claim some ancient um, historicity back to the early centuries, yep. you know, um, second, third, fourth Such century. Such as the rite of St. John Chrysostom. <coughs> exactly. The Syriac rites, um, the Coptic rite, the... Um, yeah, many different rites. They all claim that connection with the antiquity. That's right, the Ambrosian rite and so yeah. forth. So um, it, was, it was regarded that it had to come, it had to have its roots, its origins back um, in those early times yep. for it to be, I guess, genuinely Catholic and have developed um, organically over time. So we, we, you didn't just create your own liturgy out of, out of thin air without reference to those past things. So the church always saw liturgy as something which developed organically, slowly, uh, it was enriched over time with um, with new feasts and, you know, maybe slight uh, additions or subtractions. But it, it just it didn't happen that you just modified everything all of a sudden. All of a sudden, that, sure. you know. So what happened in the in the 20th century had never happened before in the history of the church. Exactly. So this we go to Vatican new, II. This was a new thing. Few people over lunch, maybe over a napkin, over. Yeah, come up with a few new rites. And what's actually interesting at the Second Vatican Council is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but six Protestant parades, par 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 uh, or advisors. Mm. That would be like 
getting uh, KFC, uh, KFC advisors for McDonald's and reforming their burger. Look, I, I think... Bit of a conflict of interest. I think... That's the, how I see it, at least I th- any logical yeah, person. sure. I think the attitude at the time was to try to see how we could bring Protestants into the Catholic communion. And they, this was the way that they chose to go about it, was mm-hmm. to see how Ecumen- they could... Ecumenism, yeah. You know, have... Uh, yeah, in a way of changing our liturgy to make it more comfortable for Protestants. As far as I understand, that was the attitude behind it. Um, you know, but um, I think probably with the benefit of hindsight, we can we can say that that is not a good approach to take. But at exactly. the time, they thought that it would it would be effective. Unfortunately, what really happened was that it alienated a lot of Catholics. And a lot of Catholics stopped going to Mass after that. Yeah, and now we're currently, if our estimates are right, we're 8 to 12% of Catholics in Australia practice the uh, attend Mass. And obviously, if you're practicing Catholic, you attend Mass at least on Sunday. And that's roughly estimates to about 10% of Catholics. It's possibly higher in, you know, maybe out west here because, you know, the migrant um, situation within this diocese that, you, that you're within. So the way I see organic unity to me is that the census fidelium of 200 years of faithful who are practicing the faith experience the right. They test it over 200 years. I mean, a 200-year-old test for a right, whether or not it's spiritually benefiting the faithful. I mean, not in that sense of, is this relevant in the, in the modern pastoral approach? But if we've used this right, let's say, let's say the Dominican right, for instance, um, which had 200 years and older antiquity. It, it was there. It was present within the, the Dominican order. It was used. It was appreciated and spiritually nourished 200 years of faithful. It produced saints. And and 200 years gave them time, right, Father, to add, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to add, let's say, feasts, prayers, and say, hmm, maybe we should reform the way we're wording this or that or the tra- or not translation but really just the, the way uh, the way the prayers are said or the rubrics so it gives <coughs> us 200 years to work on it same with churches weren't medieval churches built over 200 years over over hundreds of years is that yeah, some of them were some of them, yeah some of them some were the big cathedrals so sure. that i'm imagining that that would be part of the benefit this for the same reason that 200 years of generations mm. building and modifying a church you experience the touch. We receiving it today would experience the touch of 200 years of faith. Imagine 200 years of saints, you know, molding that, you know. It sounds like a better idea to go with the wisdom of 200 years and older than to just say, ah, hey, this seems good to me and to the time today. Let's just go with this. Uh Uh-uh. I would rather stick with what works for other people. It's like medicine. <laughs> would you rather create something new and improve today or would you rather a bit of the test of time? So, I mean, the test of time is really the key here for organic. Um, but can I ask you about the Roman, uh, the Roman canon specifically within the Roman? That's the essence of the Roman right. That's what makes the Roman right. That's what's so distinctive right about the Roman right is the That's Roman right. canon. And it was, it was the same within... All of those different usages, you still had the Roman canon with all yeah. of, within all with of the those. Dominican rite, the Ambrosian rite. <clears throat> so they used the 
So they used the Roman right. And now with the 1969 missile, the Massa Paul VI or the Novus Ordo, we optionalized the Roman cannon, which mm. is quite... They nearly got rid of it, actually. Wow. Yeah, there was a push to, to get rid of it. But of course, sensibly, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, but it is, it is optional. And unfortunately, many priests who say the Novus Ordo never or very rarely use the Roman right. The Roman uh, canon. I've met a priest. Uh, he <laughs> said to me, uh, we we're doing a funeral for a friend of mine, but said to me, oh, I've never used the Ro Ro Roman canon in my life. <laughs> yeah. So look, it's quite, to me, okay, well, we've got a question. What's the reason for this? And um, why, why would we get rid of the Roman right? I mean, these are, these are sensible questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, if this is the essence of the Roman liturgy, I mean, liturgy of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist, every liturgy has that. I've been to the Armenian rite, the Coptic rite, the, the Maronite rite. I was, I attended school, you know, with the Maronite rite for 13 years. Every liturgy has a liturgy of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist. Each liturgy has its sort of its essence or its pinnacle of what makes it it, basically. And the Roman rite is the Roman canon, you know, to you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless, and so on. And, and the you know, you read out the canon of the saints and... And where was that developed from? Uh, was it the first? Some say it goes back to the first century. It, we know it's very early because <clears throat> even uh, Saint Ambrose in the fourth century, who was at Milan, um, he we actually have a copy of the entire canon that he wrote out, yeah. and it's almost word for word the same as what we use now. Wow! So wow. we know it at least goes back to then, but. He didn't make that up. He's just passing on what he, what received, he received from before that. So we know it's very, very early. So we could even say it's apostolic. Yes, we could say that. That the apostles wrote it. Wow. So that's something possibly that would the apostles have prayed that within, I mean, the 12 apostles when they dispersed, would they have prayed the Roman canon or? No, they or wouldn't, probably they wouldn't not. have had the Roman canon, but. They we, would have celebrated we, the Maronite rite, Father. <laughs> But uh, we can certainly say that it, it has its roots in the apostolic preaching yeah. and, you know, obviously it goes back to yeah. those early centuries. So. At least, and then went to Rome and became, it was, again, test of time, 200 years. I mean, there's a wisdom in the test of time and in tradition. I mean, tradition is not something traditional. Mm. I mean, really, would you say that the extraordinary form is traditional or is it just simply, as Pope Benedict names it, just the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite? Well, it's traditional in the sense of comparing it with, you know, this the modern rite of the Novus Ordo. Obviously, it's traditional in the sense of that's what existed for all those centuries beforehand. So, yeah. you know, it does make it does make sense to use that word. Exactly, but I think really, Catholicism is traditional. We we believe in tradition. I mean, our faith, our theology is tradition. Paradosis, it's passed on. And uh, really, we can't we can't neglect tradition, whether it's theology or the, the 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 liturgy itself. But after we come back from a break, we'll be discussing three practical tools and how we can take action regarding um, you know getting to the extraordinary form and appreciating the extraordinary form. And we have a special message and request: Father Cipher needs your help. So please listen to the message that's here. So after we come back, we're happy to take calls only through nine six two five six triple one. That is 9625611. Or you can email us at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. That is thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. Or you can simply comment in one of the Facebook live feeds and we'll get to your questions. So we're waiting for your call, especially Father Cypher's here in studio. 
Stay with us, we'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations, so that we can forge to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavour. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to uh, commit to helping us with this great endeavour to build a new church for Western Sydney. And welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we appear with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And we're joined this week by Father Damon Seifer from the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, who just discussed what the Roman Rite is in the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, and uh, a bit about its history and how the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter was formed. But uh, what's, this, uh, what's this video, Father, that we've just watched about you, um, uh, we, we heard about a church, the aspiration to build a church. That's right. So yeah. the fraternity has its own parish in the inner west of Sydney. So Lewisham is only 15 minutes from the city. Which is a personal parish. That's right, for yeah. the Archdiocese of Sydney. But in the west of Sydney, we, we don't have our own church. So at the moment, we have to have time slots in, in existing parishes and just make do. Um, we have for many years lived at, uh, at a house uh, in Girawin and we used an, another house right next door for our weekday chapel, which we've now completely outgrown. Um, but we do know that we are going to have to move out of there, you know, sometime in the near future. We don't have an actual date yet. Um, so essentially we, we need to find a new home. We need to find at least a new weekday chapel, but in the long term, we want to have our own church, yeah. our own yeah. you know, parish or whatever it's going to be, an, our own apostolate um, church. Let's aim for in, parish. In Western, uh, yeah. in Western Sydney. Yeah, because um, I attend your parish, um, not parish, but uh, the, um, I, I attend Blacktown uh, every, uh, twice to three times a month uh, with my fiancé and uh, we're, we're, we're active members um, yeah, in attending the Mass and, and we also go to Maternal Heart Mary Lewisham. I've been going since 2011, since I discovered the traditional Latin Mass by accident. Well, I met Father Duncan Wong uh, at a what they call a vocations expo. I mean, they were giving freebies everywhere, you yeah. know. Come discern with us. Here's a lollipop. Um, here's, here's a lolly. Here's a pen, you know. Here's a brochure, you know. They had, they had like a full expo, which was really good in the, in the heart of Martin Place in 2011. And, and Father Duncan Wong was there. And, um, and you know, I'd, I'd heard about it, funny enough, from a, a, a Maronite priest, actually, <laughs> I'd met a Maronite priest that year, and uh, he actually um, he actually challenged me why I attend the the Novus Ordo, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's a great proponent of the traditional Latin Mass, and um, from there it sparked the curiosity. You know, I was like, oh man, what's all this? You know, I keep hearing about it. You know. Uh, the, the traditional Latin Mass, something before Vatican II, something where the priest was facing the other way. But then 
I, I finally found Father Duncan Wong, took the brochure, and then I was said to myself, you know what, I want to go and experience it. So I went to Maternal Heart of Mary. Um, obviously, my first Latin Mass, I was lost, as you would, and that's okay to be lost. I mean, people people always want to be entertained and accommodated all the time, as if it's you know, as if it's a hotel or we're here, we're here to 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 feed everybody. But really. I just let the liturgy go over me. I, I sort of dropped the 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 missalette, um, and I put it on the piano. I just watched. I just observed, absorbed the theology, and observed uh, the ritual. And the 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 ritual speaks a theology, which which really harkens back to the the, the phrase lex orandi, lex credendi. How we pray is how we believe. For instance, someone walking into a church should be able to identify what you believe based on what we're doing based on what we're practicing very easily. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite funny because several non-Catholics have actually gone to new rite masses and they've, they've, they've observed, and they've, uh, you know, average, sometimes average parishes, they've seen a parish and they, they couldn't believe that this is actually Jesus in the Eucharist because maybe there wasn't enough reverence or, or, or genuflection or there wasn't enough ritual uh, basically practicing what we're preaching, which is uh, Lex Arondi, Lex Credendi. So... That experience there, and then that's when I started going to the Latin Mass, and now, obviously, we can't go to Lewisham every Sunday, so well, we, we're here with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're lucky to have us, I'm sure, uh, at, at Latin Mass, and it's a growing community. You, out of all people, and uh, can tell us how, how much, over the years, it's grown. Yes, you know, definitely. how many young people. Um, <clears throat> every year it grows. Yeah. Every year it grows. There's just something, for the past seven years, I've been active in starting the traditional Latin Mass at my parish in the cathedral and uh, helping you know priests start Latin Masses in their parishes with the provisions of Samorum Pontificum and encouraging clergy to do so. And there are a lot of young clergy and young people for the future planning to, to, to say the both forms of the Roman Rite in their parishes. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not sparked by, you know, just a, an obsession or a nostalgia with uh, something traditional. This is because... People have learnt their Catholic faith, catechized themselves. This is what I'm observing on the grandfather. As a layman, speaking to people for the show, speaking to many different Catholic circles, and knowing a lot of people, people who learn their faith and catechize themselves want to actually know, what the, want to actually ex, uh, express the theology of the Mass within the Mass. And, and they're not finding sometimes that in your average pressures because maybe because of some lost rituals and prayers, but maybe sometimes of um, there's too much entertainment in the liturgy, that they're not finding that expression in, in, in more modern contemporary uh, liturgies. So that's why they're, they're turning to, to, to the traditional Latin Mass, or I like to call it the extraordinary form. Because it, it, they go to Mass and they experience that, hey, okay, we, we feel as if this is a representation of the sacrifice on Calvary. We, we feel as if the saints are there uh, with us cosmologically and you're offering the sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. We see that theology played out. Mm-hmm. We're practicing what we're preaching. Just like, you know, someone not stealing is practicing thou shall not steal. We want to see that the church defines theologically um, what is the definition, Father? of uh, the, the Holy Sacrifice of Mass, in a nutshell? The definition, well, it's the, repre- it's, the not, it's the unbloodied representation of the Sacrifice of Calvary. So the Council of Trent 
says that it's the same sacrifice, but it's offered in an unbloodied manner. So whereas on the cross our Lord spilled his, his spilled precious his blood, blood um, <clears throat> on, the, on the altar it's, it's re-presented, so it's made present again on the altar, um, and that is symbolized through the consecration of the, the, the bread and the um, wine which symbolizes the body and the blood of Christ being separated. Mm -hmm. So it's as though, it's as though you know, symbolically that... Your body and blood are separated. Is being, yeah, something's yeah, it's gone being, wrong. It's being shown by that double consecration. Um, and our Lord is truly present there at that time, um, just, just as he was uh, the same sacrifice on Calvary. That's right. And that, <clears throat> so we're representing the sacrifice on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And you as a priest in persona Christi are offering that sacrifice to the Father in that same manner as the temple in the Old Testament for the remission of sins. Yes. So your identity as a priest is to offer sacrifice. That's right. To God so for that's, the remission of sins. In, in essence, that's what a priest does. So that's, that's his most fundamental uh, thing. That's what makes a priest a priest is that he offers a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. Mm. So um, he's the one designated as the representative of the people and they are all joining into that sacrifice, which is seen more clearly perhaps in the traditional rite because we're all facing in the same direction. same direction. So we're all doing the same thing. We're all offering it up to God. Yes. Which, by the way, in the new rite, at least in Jordan's instruction, to my knowledge in Jordan's instruction of the Roman Missal, that wasn't supposed to be lost. It's still, and we've done many um, camps, retreats um, with uh, you know, more traditional priests. We've we've had the, we've served and had the Novus Ordo facing as it should be. You know, all liturgies. You look at all Eastern liturgies. You know, the Byzantine liturgy, the Armenian liturgy, the Coptic liturgy. They all there's never a liturgy that's really facing the people. Mm, yeah, you know? it is. It is quite a new thing to to do that. Yeah. I'm just trying to grasp what's the theology of facing, and even I, my daily mass in the morning, you know, is no sort of, but it always does recur back to me that why is he facing the people, you know, mm -hmm. he's talking to God, he's offering the sacrifice, like face the other direction, it's sort of just, that's just my observation, but that's just my observation, and the observation of many young people, so... And, and so that's the theological definition, dogmatic definition of what the Mass is. Mm -hmm. So we, a lot of young people have learnt this and have catechized and, and, and they don't want to muck around. They just want to go and experience to the fullness. And they can handle, young people can handle, and older people, you know, faithful Catholics can handle, you know, um, not being entertained. You know, if we want entertainment, we'll go somewhere else, we'll go to a you know, um, go out to a bar, something else. We don't care to be entertained in in Mass. When we go to Mass, we want to experience the Mass. We want to be nourished. We want to grow spiritually. We don't want to be entertained. I just came for a retreat, um, I make my annual retreat. And, uh, you know, it's not like typical retreats. It's, it's, it's in the silence. There's spiritual exercises. where It's a whole uh, schedule of spiritual exercises from 7 a.m. in the morning all the way to 9.30 p.m., you know, examination of conscious, five meditations, uh, you know, and, and people who are there, like, we don't care for a, for a bonfire and talk about our feelings. We, no one wants to talk. We're just there for serious business. Mm -hmm. We want spiritual progress. We want to grow closer to our Lord. 
And what for? The salvation of our souls. We're not here to muck around. We're here to get to heaven. We're here to become saints. And sometimes you don't hear that in the church. You hear, you know, I, I think a different sometimes theology preached, you know, about the mass being a, a community gathering or, or there's nothing wrong with the community gathering, but that's not the intrinsic theology. You know, sometimes there's a, there's a real destruction sometimes. Do you find, Father, that from the, the real theological um, goals and definitions of the church um, You mean in, in the more, more modern rites? In or? the more modern rites, yeah. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, a lot of people make that their comments that when they come to the traditional mass, they, you know, they feel that they can pray much more easily and, um, you know, there's not lots of busy things happening, but you're there to pray, you're on your knees. The silence, you know. what, what really helps a lot of people is that silence and the theology of that silence that you're, 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 you're saying the Roman canon facing the other direction uh, and, 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 and it's in the silence. What's, what's the significance of the silence, Father? So that goes back um, to the early centuries as well. It's the, that is a very early thing that the canon itself is said in silence. And in ancient times, when something was very holy, you know, these kind of prayers, um, the holiness of what the priest was doing is emphasized by doing it, you know, with a, with a quiet voice. Yeah. So um, I think people who haven't been before, when they come, that's probably the thing that they notice the most is the silence of the Roman canon. But it, it should strike them as, you know, something that is supposed to bring them into that, that spirit of prayer, that there's something very special happening at that time, that it's so sacred the priest doesn't just say it out loud, you know, like, like any other thing that you're saying. But it's also day. a theology, just like Moses up on Mount Sinai, the people couldn't hear him. He was, it gives the priest that identity, that he's having a private discussion with God, it really gives, not only does the, ex, the extra in form of the Roman rite, or I like to call it the, my personal view, the authentic Roman rite, because it's just where it came from. Uh, and, and that's just a liturgical argument and, and, and a debate of one. But it also helps the priest. I mean, if I was a priest and you're saying the extra in form, it really helps to give you that sense of identity in your vocation as a priest. Because you have a unique identity, apart from me as a layperson, you know, your hands are consecrated, you are called and you alone to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. I think where there's maybe a lot of priests, and I've had discussions with priests, where they struggle in their vocations um, is because, and a great contribution is because the right, you know, there's a loss of identity for the priesthood, mm. you know, and all this talk about, you know, clericalism and... Uh, and, and trying to tear down the identity of the priesthood, you know, it, it, and then we wonder on, <laughs> on the other side, oh, why aren't there any vocations? Mm. You know, uh, you know, really, the rite itself, you know, that silence is your private discussion with God on behalf of us, the people, and, and you're, it's, it's not that you, your personal life, are higher than anybody else. It's your office as a priest, mm. you know, um, on behalf of the people, offering that sacrifice. So you have that unique identity as opposed to me, you know. Uh, I can't do that, only you can. So it gives that identity to the priest, and it sanctifies, I believe, the priest. Um, 
But now, um, I mean, it's a great discussion that we're having here, but let's now go into our three practical tools that you would suggest for someone wanting to start out in the extraordinary form. I know a lot of young people are now, there's a mass migration now of so many young people in the midst of the times that we're living. Uh, th- they want to go to the extraordinary form and they... Um, and, and and there's more and more coming, and uh, you'll be seeing a lot of new faces, Father. <laughs> we do, we do every Sunday. It's almost every Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some practical tips you're saying for three uh, practical attending. tips? Yeah, sure. Because a lot of people always give me feedback. Yeah, I speak to a lot of people about this. They always come up with feedback. Oh, I didn't understand what was going on. Oh, I didn't like it a couple mm-hmm. of times. But what are three practical tips to get started? Sure. Well, you hit on one thing before that. Uh, when you go to the Latin Mass for the first time, you shouldn't feel obliged to that you, sh- that you need to follow everything that's going on, you know, because it is a rich rite and there are a lot of things happening, especially if you're at a Song Mass. <clears throat> so as you said, um, we shouldn't be too focused on where we're up to in the, in the text and things like that, whereas we should really look at what's happening on the altar, uh, try and see what, what the the, the rites that are happening there, what the priest is doing, and try to enter into that spirit of prayer um, through through that way. So that would be one thing. Another thing would be, it would actually be good to get a booklet or a missile or look online so that you can actually see the text beforehand, you know, what is it that the, that the priest prays. So if you're familiar with it, if you've read through it once or twice beforehand, then when you get there, it's not all new because you've at least read through it before. Um, another thing that or I would... YouTube, possibly. Yes. You can watch on you. That's, that's sort of how I studied the... How to even serve as well. Sure. There's, a lot, there's lots of information available yep. on YouTube. Um, probably another point that I would add to that is someone going for the first time, if they want to have a, the most authentic experience possible, they should try to go to a sung mass because the Sung Mass is the more authentic form of the Mass. So in ancient times, liturgy was always sung. It was, it was basically unthinkable to have just a spoken liturgy. So in ancient times, it was always sung. So it's the more ancient form and it's the more authentic uh, form is, is the Sung Mass. So um, it would be good to, to try to experience it in that way um, because it's it's much richer, you know. We have the Gregorian chant and incense and everything like that. Um, it it all all of those things help very much to to bring us into that uh, prayerfulness of the ancient ritual. Um, and pr- probably uh, just maybe one last point: if you can try to go with someone who is familiar with the the rite and they would be able to guide you through what's happening and uh yeah you know and i say go about five times after your fifth time you'll get the hang of it i mean it's just just as anybody even attending rcia becoming catholic you know they'd have to learn the new rite of mass even though it's in english and uh, father let's talk now about the building project i mean that's the big thing there is such a demand of young people going to latin mass my personal prediction is in the next 10 years I mean, there is a projected estimate in the United States that 98% of practicing young Catholics all att- attend in some shape or form the extraordinary form. So they either go one day a week, uh, one sorry, one day a month, or one day um, they have some occasional contact with the Latin Mass. Uh, they go half half, or they're full time Latin Mass. Sure. So I uh, the I think really the extraordinary form 
is really is really going to grow in the next in a lot of parishes thanks to Samorum Pontificum and with the priestly fraternity of Saint Mary who are under Samorum Pontificum, it, there's a mass expansion of practicing young Catholics who naturally thereby gravitate to, you know, a, a traditional expression of the faith. Or mm -hmm. so yes. let, let's go through. So you're within the diocese of Parramatta. And um, and we we need a church yes. because we can't fit anybody <laughs> in that Gruen Chapel. I mean, it's such a great problem to have where we can't fit people. <laughs> you know, like uh, during during COVID, that was, was great. We all had to stand outside. It's yes. just absolutely packed. Sure. And uh, now we're currently in um, in the hall in Blacktown with mm -hmm. the Croatian, very generous, uh, and big shout out to the Croatian Catholic community for. Uh, giving us the hall on Sundays. It's, yeah, we're it's a very grateful hall. for that. Yes, but yeah. um, as you said, long long term, we really need to find our own place. Uh, you know, in Western Sydney, wherever that wherever that ends up being. Um, you know, there is clearly a need for our own our own church, um, and it's not just for masses, but for everything that will come along with that as well. Exactly. You know, yeah. We give uh, we give catechism. To children, we have adult catechism. We do marriage prep. Um, you know, we do so many other things as well. So, exactly. You know, we. I we, mean, the children's catechism is phenomenal. You use the Baltimore catechism. I mean, the traditional. I mean, I mean it's absolutely amazing. And we we need a church, and we need a sac. We we need a block less idea. What kind of a location are we looking at within Western Sydney, uh, ideally? Yeah, look, my, my superiors will make that decision as to exactly where we're going. So they they haven't made a decision yet with that. But obviously, we, we'll probably need about a hectare of land to, yeah, for, hectare. for this um, project. So the land itself is going to probably cost $3 million. Um, our idea at the, at the moment is uh, to, to purchase land and then um, as soon as we can to buy sorry, to build um, maybe the hall first and use that as a church yeah, for as it. many years as we need that's to. That's what some parishes have done. That's so, right. Yeah. And it's very common in the States that the fraternity does that. And then we would raise money over the next years and then eventually to build our own church. Because the church, again, needs that to organic time to sort of build, design, with discern. There's that, but really uh, mostly it comes down to fundraising. You know, the, the whole cost of the project is probably going to be roughly $10 million. So, $10 million, yeah. Yeah, that takes a lot of time yep. normally. Um, we have placed all of this under... Uh, the patronage of St. Joseph, and yep. we actually did that a few months before the Holy Father declared this as the year of St. Joseph, so uh, we took great encouragement in uh, the fact that he did that afterwards. So. Absolutely, and I have uh, great confidence that we, we will, by the grace of God, get to that and reach that goal and have our church uh, and with a good block of land and uh, you a know, good environment for prayer because, boy, I tell you, a lot of my generation, young people, there are so many of us getting married. I'm getting married in three weeks, and we don't know where to put it. You know where you know where we're gonna, <laughs> you know, fit. You know, you know, in the church and uh, and you know the pastoral life of the parish. So, mm. I, I re we really do need a church. And um, yeah, so if you, anyone just Google's FSSP Parramatta, how can people our, donate? Yeah, so we That's have a the, donation page on our website. If they just Google FSSP Parramatta, it'll come. It'll come up, and uh, we have we have the donation page there. It explains the different options for 
for um, being able to donate, whether it's bank transfer or credit cards or you know check or whatever it might be. But in particular, we're encouraging people to become monthly donors because this is a long-term project and we need people to make a long-term commitment to those donations. Exactly. So, you know, most people can't afford to, to give thousands of dollars on the spot. But, but if thousands of people can afford to give a few dollars, yeah, maybe you know, people give 50 or or $100 per month, then if we have a 1,000 people doing doing that then we'll we'll soon reach I think out there was somebody on Facebook where they commented because your that promo video is all over Facebook it's everywhere it's on YouTube somebody commented uh, on Facebook there they come up with a solution really they said uh, three um thousand people giving two dollars <laughs> or, or three uh, uh three three million people giving one dollar each you know it's just if we get more people doesn't have to be a large sum or yeah but committed donations will get us there faster and mm -hmm. you know there's a few other strategies that ca can be done but and you're working very hard at it and uh, i'm sure you know you will uh, by the grace of god we, we will achieve this and uh, we're going to be working on let's say a marketing strategy i'm going to be having a few discussions with yourself about how we can get s sort of some r the right donors sort of come in and um and, and really Let's, let's kickstart this. You know, we need a parish. There's going to be a lot of faithful young Catholics for the future who will depend on um, the, the, the spiritual um, guidance and, uh, and really and you'll be entrusted with a lot of young peoples uh, and their families and their children, intergenerational. That's so right. So it's not just for now. This is for, you know, this is for the long term. So, yeah. Exactly. So I'm absolutely confident we will we will achieve this by the grace of God. And really, how can uh, where where can people find um, the Latin Mass currently where it is? What's the address for people to get there uh, in Blacktown? Yeah, so that's that's all that information is on our website as well. But um, we have uh, an earlier morning Mass at the Coptic Church, St Mark's Coptic Church mm -hmm. at Prospect, yep. seven forty-five on Sundays. But the Sung Mass, as you said, is at Blacktown at the Croatian um, Catholic Parish in Douglas Road, Blacktown. Yep. Um, so that's a 10 o'clock Mass, uh, Sung Mass every Sunday. And yeah. that's in the hall. That's right. That's in the, so the, the Catholic Church, but the hall, which is right next door, they're, they're absolutely generous for um, allowing us to use it. And where do you see the future with young people and the Latin Mass, Father? Well, well, if you look at the demographic of those who attend the Latin Mass, you know, it's um, the, the, the number of young people who go is it's very noticeably higher compared to the average parish, you know, around the corner. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Or even, you know, they, they, they may not go every Sunday, but they, they can go when they can or, you know, half the time they split their time 50-50. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, a lot of people, you know, who can't trek it out to Maternal Heart Lewisham, which is a beautiful church. I mean, there's no other church me and my fiancé thought, you know, thought of, you know, after, let's say, maybe one or two as an option. But then we ruled it out quickly and then said Maternal Heart Mary. Absolutely beautiful church, especially after the renovations which you were heavily involved in. Yes, I mean, it was, that's right. It, it looks absolutely stunning. You can type in Maternal Heart of Mary, Lewisham, uh, on Google, have a look at how, the beauty of the church there. Are we going Gothic, Father? Are we going <laughs> Baroque? What's the vision architecturally? 
I think that's a few, a few people might want to know. That, that's that's <laughs> quite a ways in the distance uh, in the future, yeah. We'll work uh, that out when the, when the time comes. Exactly. That's absolutely wonderful. And so what would be your last piece of advice for those uh, moving forward with the Latin Mass and, um, and, and, and getting there and growing spiritually from the Latin Mass? Because that's the main thing, that we grow spiritually mm-hmm. from the right which St. Francis used, St. Dominic used, St. Josemaria Escriva himself continued to celebrate the extraordinary form. It sanctified many saints. So what's your spiritual advice on how to gain the most spiritually out of this rite? Mm-hmm. Um, well, as I said, just really trying to enter into the, the spirit of prayer, um, that it is the sacrifice of, of Calvary being represented and that we are supposed to be offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God, uh, you know, in that moment as well. So. Um, we, we often forget that at Mass we're offering Christ, but we're also offering ourselves spiritually to God. So, um, you know, uh, I think attending Mass in a way that helps us best offer ourselves uh, to God um, in, a, in a very generous spirit, um, you know, is, is definitely part of the, the traditional um, liturgy and uh, the spirituality that comes with it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Father, for coming on tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. We'll definitely have you on again and uh, leading up to, you know, working on promoting this and and, and getting it out there. I'm sure now soon it will take momentum, you know, the momentum will kick off. Please go. Thank you very much, Father. Thank you. If you could leave us with your blessing before we go off air. Sure. Amen. So be sure to subscribe and download to the Catholic Toolbox podcast to re-listen to any of the episodes available on the Apple iTunes, Android, or any other platform wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to look out for our YouTube. We're soon uploading videos to YouTube. I'll be announcing another network that we're going in on. Um, for the future, they'll be announced next week. So, thank you for tuning in to the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.